Hello and welcome to the Haskin Cast podcast newest episode. I am your host Scott Haskin and I am excited to bring you another fantastic guest this week. What's going on? Let's see. Uh, I am very excited that uh, I will be headed back to the NAM show in Anaheim in uh, about a week and a half. I didn't think I was going to get the opportunity to go this year, but as it turns out, I did. And uh, I'm very happy about that. Thank you to Cloud Mikes, who is bringing me back this year. And uh, hopefully get them on the podcast soon as well. Uh, they're pretty busy, but we'll see what we can do. Uh, the NAM show is a pretty amazing thing. It's uh, the annual trade show for musical instruments. A lot of the new stuff that will be coming out is previewed there before anywhere else in the world. So you get to see things uh, pretty early on. And uh, it's it's part that. It's part... Uh, here's things that we have out that you may not know about that we brought to show you uh, a lot of demonstrations. Uh, I got to see a scene uh, from a movie that Danny Elfman had scored, and they brought the actual template uh, from the uh, from the scoring session, and you could see how he constructs his music and what his computer setup looks like. That was pretty interesting. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that, a lot of demos. Uh, some celebrities will be there, and uh, and also uh, it's part family reunion. You know, there's there's people that I have uh, as friends in this business that we communicate through email most of the time, uh, and the NAM show is an opportunity to actually see them in person. It's the one time of year that the majority of us are in one place, so it's pretty cool to get to see my friends and uh, people that I work with. I get to see people that build the things that uh, I use as tools in my everyday life. Uh, every year I get to visit my friends at Isotope, which is one of my absolute favorite companies. They make uh, some amazing audio restoration tools. They make uh, audio mastering tools, which I use. And now they've really branched out into doing some uh, effects, which I absolutely love uh, these new effects that they've, coming out with. they've come out with. I used vocal synth on the last Haunted Holidays album and uh, did uh, some various bits with that. But it but, they also encourage thinking outside of that box. It's not just for voice. Use it on other things. Take a drum and do something with that, or a bass guitar and do something with that. Uh, I remember reading early on uh, when I bought my first sequencer in the Korg manual, it said that same thing. It says, don't think of a bass guitar as a bass guitar. Think of it as a sound. And if you're writing structured music, if you're writing rock music, for example, you have the bass where the bass goes, you have the guitar where the guitar goes, and drums and keyboard and all that. But when you're writing anything else, anything that doesn't have to have a structure, uh, if you're writing New Age music or you're writing film score music or uh, just something for a background uh, for a commercial or whatever, uh, you really can transform those sounds into something that is beyond what is on the surface. And I, I love doing that. I, I'm really glad that that was something that was in that manual early on because that's always stuck with me. So when I get a toy, which to me, I, I mean, as a musician, this is a, a total, it's a serious toy, but it's still a toy. I look at what can I do with it beyond just transforming voice, which was the original design. And I've had a lot of fun with that. I'm going to be doing a review of that here uh, very soon. Just haven't been able to make the time, uh, but I'll be doing a review for that. I'll also be doing a review for Isotope's uh, Neutron 2, uh, which is a, another just amazing studio tool. Those guys uh, at Isotope, they're to me at least about as cutting edge as it gets and they provide some of the most important tools that I use every single day. 
So I'm always excited to visit my friends there. Uh, they've been very generous and uh, very friendly and kind and supportive. And uh, I, I could not ask for anything better out of a company. Uh, they they represent all the values that I hold very dearly myself. And it makes them even more enjoyable to work with. There's some companies that I have products from that when I got the products, uh, I was very excited to use them. But as I've seen w- what the company's done, where they've headed, uh, the way they treat their customers, it really doesn't inspire me to use their tools anymore or to purchase anything more for them. In fact, there's two companies that I will probably never purchase anything from again. Uh, there's one that I'm kind of borderline with, but uh, that's just me. And uh, I have to at least be, I have to feel good about the companies that design the tools I use because if I don't, it just doesn't make me want to use them. So that's just me. I might be in the complete minority on that. I have no idea. But in any event, I'm very excited to head back to NAM. Uh, I've got a few vendors that I want to see. Uh, my friends at M Audio. Uh, uh, I'm hoping that Behringer is going to be there. Uh, they're not on the list, but they're doing a pre NAM party. So it seems kind of weird that they wouldn't be there. Uh, or maybe that's why they're not. I don't know. Um, I've uh, sent a message into them to find out. Uh, but M Audio is a company that uh, I work with quite a bit. I, I work with Behringer's Gear quite a bit as well. Uh, Band Lab is going to be there, which I'm excited to meet them now that they've taken over control of Cakewalk. Uh, they purchased it away from Gibson, and that is the main digital audio workstation that I use. Uh, I use Digital Performer a little bit and uh, Cubase a little bit. But uh, mostly I, I do the majority of my work in, in Cakewalk, and I have for 20-some years now, uh, probably longer than that. I can't remember when I started, what year it was, but I know I j- uh, just started at Pro Sound Music, so it was probably sometime in the late 90s, mid-90s, I want to say. Um, I'll have to look. But in any case, uh, NAM is an awesome thing. I'm very happy to go. I'm considering doing a, a separate podcast on NAM, just depending. I'm, I'm there for a very short time this year, just a day and a half, uh, whereas I usually go three to four days of the four-day event. So uh, it's going to be a, a quick in and out. Uh, but if you want to kind of get a general idea of what it looks like, pop on over to my Facebook page, and there are three... Uh, three photo albums from different years that I've been at NAM. This is my fourth year going. Um, the day before NAM, though, is equally as exciting to me because that is the one day of the year that I take off. Uh, I don't work, or I should say I work minimally uh, because I go to the beach that day and I just spend the day walking up and down the beach, relaxing, uh trying not to work, trying not to think, just letting all that out and just enjoying the air and the waves and the sounds and uh, the uh, pelican that seems to have no personal bubble. You can just walk right up to him and he doesn't even flinch. Uh, There's a seal that swims off the end of the pier uh, where the guys fish. And uh, I've seen dolphins. I've seen whales. Uh, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And, uh, it's not often that I'm willing to trade an entire day for, uh, not working, but that's the one day of the year I absolutely love. And then at the end of the day, I go to, uh, the end of the pier and there's a little restaurant there and I'll just get a hot chocolate and I'll watch the sun go down, but it's a really weird experience there. And and there's only one place I've done this. So I don't know if, if it's exactly like this anywhere else, but the sun goes down. But then there's like a darkness that comes and envelopes the entire area. And it it just feels like you're staring into space without stars. It just seems like an endless 
sea of, of darkness. It's the weirdest thing, but I, I think it's so cool. So I have to go and check that out every time I'm there. And uh, I will do that this time, and I'll enjoy that. But typically, of course, I have to do some work, so I will get some audio samples. I'll do some filming of the ocean and the waves and uh, different spots. And, uh, you know, because you never know what you might need, especially with the relaxation stuff I do. Uh, I like to have the videos water-based because that seems to be something that the majority of people can find relaxation in. So I try to get a lot of footage from that. And then I, I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is really good, but I just did a water video and I want to do something else. Uh, but I don't go hiking. I don't go through the woods. I don't really go outside a lot. So water seems to be the one thing that I can find and, and film and, and uh, hopefully everyone enjoys it as much as I do. Um, but let's talk about our guest. Our guest today, I've known for, let's see, I met her, I think, the year before I graduated high school. So uh, that would be 89, so a long time. And she is a phenomenal guitarist. Uh, she graduated from Berkeley, I think, last year. And uh, she's played in a couple bands out in the East. And uh, it's really great to see somebody being successful in this business purely on their talent, their passion, their dedication. It wasn't that she knew somebody. It wasn't that she um, really went out of her way to network exactly. She was just in a good place to meet people. And uh, she really went through a lot to get where she is now. And we're going to talk about that on the show. And I really admire how hard she's worked. I admire that she found that belief in herself to keep at it, to push herself to the level that she's at now. And uh, and on top of that, I mean, she's just a dear friend. She's absolutely wonderful. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to bring her on the show. So let's, uh, let's get Julie on. Okay, everybody, let's welcome Julie on to the show. Julie, how are you doing today? I'm really well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I just realized something. I I do the welcome on every show very consistently. Like I do it with all this like sort of rocks at rock voice energy, and I got that from working at Pro Sound in Colorado Springs when I used to do the voice messages, and I used to go, "Thank you for calling Pro Sound," uh, <laughs> and I think that was the last time I saw your mom was at Pro Sound in Colorado Springs. You know what? I really I think that's true. Yeah, it's been been quite I, some time. I those voicemail messages. mm Hmm remember hearing them yeah those were fun and then of course yeah. i would uh, i would not be able to talk the next day because i would do a bunch of different takes and <laughs> scratch the hell out of my voice but uh, that was years ago how are you doing these days well you know i've been very busy and very blessed um fortunate to be able to doing to be able to be doing everything i love yeah that is is pretty fantastic you've uh you've recently or well i guess it's been a few years now that you moved back to the east coast and you seem to be playing all the time. <laughs> I know. I don't know how it happened. I joined a band a year ago called Fast Times. And w they had an ad on Craigslist. And they said, you'll probably be doing over 100 gigs a year. And I thought, yeah, right. That's just to, because <laughs> really trying to get someone in. But I played over 100 gigs with them. And then I also play in a band called The Experts. And we did 15 gigs this last week. So that was a lot of playing. Yeah. Uh, I also played, um, I did this Imagine Arts 
a few shows for that. We were playing at the kindergartens around town. Oh, cool. That was really fun kids, too. And so I've not actually counted up exactly how many gigs I played last year, but it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like a lot. You know, like when I when I see your postings, it just seems like you don't really get a lot of nights off. And I love that because these days there are not a lot of people outside of, you know, maybe like an entertainment town like Atlantic City or New Orleans or Vegas or Nashville that really get to play a lot because there are not a lot of venues that are hiring live bands these days. Well, we've come into that. Uh, look, lately, a lot of the clubs are switching from live music on Fridays to a DJ or just no music at all, which is unfortunate. But I do a lot of traveling. So I play in New Hampshire, in Maine, in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, you know, pretty much where we can get booked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's good. I mean, I it just it just seems to me that because there's not as much opportunity as there used to be, musicians don't really get to build their skills because you can practice in the bedroom, you can practice in the basement or with your band, but you really get the real experience on stage. And yeah. so, do you find that because of the amount of work that you've been doing, do you feel that your your playing has grown from that? Yes. Well, there's performance and then there's playing. So I have noticed that as far as detailed practice goes, I've been kind of slacking on that, you know, practicing my arpeggios, learning new scales, learning new chords. And so uh, when I was a student at Berkeley, that was pretty much everything I focused on. And I've noticed that while getting really killer riffs and stage presence and getting the songs really tight with the band, that's gotten a lot better. But now I feel like, oh, wait, how did that third inversion, major seven sharp five? <laughs> I don't know. Remember it, you know? Well, I, but Berkeley is such an intensive study. I would imagine that once you were done, you just, for at least a short time or, or a while, would have gone, okay, I don't need to stress so much on that right now. I've just been pushing myself to ridiculous limits to graduate. I, I need a breather. I needed an exhale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long was your program in Berkeley? Well, it was a bachelor's degree, but I was fortunate enough to have a semester of credits transfer over. Oh, okay. So I did seven semesters in two years. <laughs> I just went straight through the summer. Wow. I went straight. Mm-hmm. It was really intense, but honestly, I needed to do it because, well, as a single mom, I was on welfare. I was receiving health insurance by the state. Mm -hmm. On welfare, you're only allowed uh, 24 months. Mm -hmm. So I, basically, I was living on my student loans and welfare, thankfully. Wow. But it was out. So the time, I just really needed to get it done. Mm -hmm. Just It was just in time <laughs> to finish. Yeah, I, I love that you saw an opportunity and made it work. And I'm sure that that was not easy because no matter who you are or where you've been in life, there is a there is, is that internal emotional difficulty of being at a point where you're on welfare. 
because you're educated, you're talented, and you're you know you're a hardworking person, and you you want to be able to provide. But there are times where you know, and I've been there too, where where things are really tough. You can't find work. Uh, royalties are not coming in the way that you had hoped. Um, and especially, I can't even imagine doing that as a as a mom. I can't imagine going to Berkeley and being a parent, especially on the on a fast track like that. And how did you? The only one that I knew of that was there, (laughs) so (laughs) I didn't really have anyone to rely on, but it was most definitely one of the hardest things I've done. Would you say uh, it was just digging in day after day, or was it maybe a time management, or how do you, what would you, what would you say that, that your, your success of getting through that was? I was at a point in my life where I was either just going to settle for what I had which wasn't enough to get by, mm-hmm. or I was just going to take a leap of faith. So I took this leap of faith, not even really, I didn't even think I'd get accepted, honestly. So really? when the day came, wow. I thought, well, this is it. I'm walking out and I, there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. So I think it was, uh, it was less time management. It was less the schooling that was, difficult. It was more trying to find a place to live, braving the the financial just that I had. We ran out of heating oil for a couple weeks in the dead of winter. And there was like, there were a couple days where the kids couldn't go to school because it was negative 25 with the wind chill. Wow. And um, we had this crazy winter. It was 2015. And we got a hundred inches of snow, I think, in one month. Good God! Basically, every Sunday there was a new blizzard, and so I I never realized when I signed the lease. You know, I lived in Colorado, but not as an adult. And then I moved to Washington, which has very moderate temperatures. We did have a few snows, but when I signed the lease, it said that I needed to shovel. So <laughs> oh yeah, whatever. Right. I didn't. Is what that meant, like feet and feet of snow. I had to shovel off the driveway. And that's not like a light, powdery snow. That's the heavy, wet snow that you could have a good snowball fight with that five minutes after shoveling, you just want to lay down and not get up until tomorrow. Heavy and icy. And then the transportation. I had a car, but if you try to park in the city, you'll go broke. So I took the T, which is our train system around here. So I would get the girls to school. Sometimes I could walk to the the T station. It was a mile away, but most of the time I'd take the bus. Mm-hmm. And getting the bus is crazy. There's, you can't even sit down. There's so many people on the bus. Mm-hmm. You're hanging on for dear life. Then you get to the train, which is packed. But then during this crazy winter, there was delays and broken down trains and then trains that that couldn't go through their their full routes because the tracks were covered in ice so a new station and so trying to route my schedule and trying to get the kids picked up from school and trying to do my homework i mean it was insane (laughs) i think about it now right did it, but I just wanted it so desperately. Well, and in, in, when you look back on something, you look at the whole of it, whereas when you're living it, you're living in the moment of it. So when you look back, at, you know, you're looking back at the, the entire mountain instead of just the step that you were climbing 
at any given time. But that really, I mean, that that's a testament to your dedication to not just your craft, but also just wanting a better life for yourself, for your kids. I mean, that I, I really respect anybody that is willing to put themselves through that kind of insanity to better their lives. And kudos to you for doing that. Well, it has paid off. And like you were talking about before, it's very difficult to make it in this business. And I think the reason I never pursued a degree is my my family, people I knew, they always would say, well, you have to have a backup plan. Right. So every job that I had was just a backup plan. There was retail, restaurants. I got my manicuring license. But I think it was just the fear of, putting 100% into the music and maybe having it fail. Right. So when I went, when I took this step, I, I just knew that I'm going to do everything within my power to not have it fail. Mm-hmm. I just want to all those people wrong that you absolutely can make a life in music. And you're doing it. And, and I definitely applaud that because... It is true that the people, and and I understand where it comes from. I understand it comes from love and concern and people wanting us to be happy and healthy. But at the same point, if you program people's minds with, you're probably going to fail, that plays over in the back of their head. And that's an even bigger mountain to overcome than having the support and saying, well, you know, it's always good to have more skills, but give this everything you have if this is what you want to do. Just be smart about how you do it. And you will find a way. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an easy business by any means. Um, I I don't know about you because you're in in the the bands, but I tend to spend far more time uh, networking and looking for projects to connect with when I'm not doing my own than I do actually working on projects. Yeah. It's it's an all-inclusive business. Mm -hmm. You go up, you have to be your own manager. Sometimes you have to be... The, you have to make flyers. I mean, you just have to have multiple skills. How how much did Berkeley uh, prepare you for the business side of music as much as it prepared you as a musician? Well, honestly, um, I didn't. I, I already knew about the business. Mm-hmm. I've been a musician for 30 years now. And, you know, as far as working with agents, as far as money management, time management, um, getting gigs, practicing, those are the things I already knew. Mm-hmm. The reason I got a degree was to pursue education and to because I knew the opportunity. I, I'd eventually love to work at a college. Mm-hmm. So I imagine I'll have to get my master's soon. But um, it was less about by, you know making connections as it was just getting a degree. Gotcha. I a degree so I could, I could teach and move forward in that way. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I played in bands. I know how to be in a band. I know how to perform. I know how to make my own videos. I know how to network. And a lot of people do go to Berkeley to network in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I wanted for the education, obviously, in music, you know, I learned a tremendous amount. I'm just blown away by my experience there. That's awesome. That piece of paper that says, I am a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that all that effort and taking the bus and getting through the snow without a car and all that was worth it because that is that must have been a very difficult couple of years. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see now where you're at. And I love the idea of people that 
understand all the facets of it, the performance side, the business side, the, the practicing side, uh, you know, the building your skills part. I'd like to see those people get into education like yourself because that's the kind of people, if I was a student, that's who I would want to learn from. Yeah. Well, that's who I did get to learn from there. All my professors were, are, are accomplished, amazing musicians mm-hmm. themselves. And then they have this deep knowledge of theory and, and application. And, you know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, I love that. I, I have a couple of friends that have gone there and uh, they've had nothing but great things to say, except every once in a while they'll say something like, oh my God, the amount of work is so much more than I thought it was going to be. Well, that's true. It is. And I, I know it's almost like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. You can only accept so much at a time. Mm-hmm. Well, I I still have all my books and all my notes and, you know, I pull them out and review everything I learned just to, to, to move forward. You know, I have enough material to study the rest of my life. From what I, no, I just wanted to tell you about a class that I took. It was called Guitar Mini. It was basically reharmon- how to reharmonize all these chords and all the different possibilities that you have on the guitar. Mm-hmm. But every class that I went, I felt like they were talking in a different language. Really? It was over my head in so many ways. I, and then, you know, what's crazy is I ended up with an A, but I really don't know how. <laughs> because when I look at the book, I think, what does this mean on some of the levels? So, you know... It was just the tip of the iceberg, the possibility. I, I hope that wasn't your first class, because that would have been a pretty intimidating way to start off. No, no. It, there was so many magical epiphanies that I had. Was that is that something that you can look at those notes now and make a little bit more sense of them, or is that yes. still something? Oh, you yeah. Can, okay, good. Yeah. It, I think I took it in my second, uh, third or fourth semester, but... You know, as you move forward and your new levels of theory and, and harmony and things like that, mm-hmm. ear training, those types of things come a, a lot clearer. Now, are those those advanced techniques, are those the kind of things that you would, that you're more likely to use in a live situation? Or would that be something when you're in the studio and you can really sit down and, and record some, some interesting things that you might not be able to do live because you only have one guitar track? Uh, when you're live, is that more of a studio application? Well, the things I've learned are more will help my songwriting and my ears. Mm-hmm. They've just opened me up, opened my ears up to new sound. Right. It was less technical, although I really got some nice fingerings for scales and and things like that. It was less about learning the licks and more understanding the theory, like transcribing music, mm-hmm. like now and analyzing music which i i really didn't understand i mean i could take hey that's one four five and six in there somewhere but now when you see how uh secondary dominance and resolutions and all these amazing wonderful things that we take for granted like stevie wonder (laughs) i mean Mm -hmm. i never analyzed his music before but if you can really sit down and look at the chord voicings and the way he, he moves from piece to piece and key changes, and it's just amazing. 
You know, I the first year that I went to the NAM show, I, I happened to be down in the, the first floor, which is where all the uh, the sort of smaller companies and the newbies get their uh, introduction into being exhibitors. And uh, all of a sudden, there was this big commotion, and I turn around, and there's Stevie Wonder. And, you know, you, you don't really get a sense of how big he is. And, and, and I mean this on a physical and, and more of a, a popularity level, because the, everybody just cleared a path for him. They didn't need to be told to move out of the way. They saw who it was, and they just moved. And he just has this incredible presence about him that's very powerful. But he's also a really big guy. I had no idea. He was just, he's like a little refrigerator. <laughs> and his bodyguard was like a full-size refrigerator because he stood between me and Stevie Wonder. He wasn't blocking me. He just happened to be on that side. And that guy was, it was probably twice as big, oh almost not even human looking. And, but it was just a, it was an incredible experience just to have him walk by because you just felt so much tremendous presence wafting off of him. It almost knocks you back a step. And musically, he's exactly the same way. When you really sit down and see what he actually does, uh, it's pretty, it's very intelligent. Yes. But it doesn't sound it. Like, it just comes with beautiful music. Right. There's so much packed into it. Mm -hmm. And very inspirational that you can use it for your own music. That's what I'm totally enjoying, too. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, I think, though, that you can do some of those kind of things, and if you do them subtly, people won't notice. They won't notice it's a, it's a very intellectual transition. The casual listener will just feel a transition. Yeah. But, but for those that really dig in and go, wow, that's how he pulled that off, it's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Yeah, it's genius. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten to listen to any of the, uh, the uh, isolated tracks that have started to surface around YouTube? Um, not his, but uh, we study those in my band, Fast Times, to mm-hmm. make sure we get all the- I love that concept. I do, too. Uh, I, I heard, I think it was uh, Africa by Toto was, was one of the first ones I heard. And I never realized how many layers there really are in that song, vocally mm-hmm. and musically alike. Have you ever heard the one for AHA, the Take On Me song by AHA? Oh, no, I haven't. Well, there's an acoustic guitar part in there. There is? I never knew. And so we found it. The guy who's playing it is extremely aggressive, and sometimes he plays so hard on the chord that it goes out of tune. Oh, really? But I never would have known that was there. I, I had no idea. Just beautiful ethereal pads, mm-hmm. background, because we already know. You know, but then there's all this other stuff happening. I love that these are surfacing because it gives it gives even the casual listener an opportunity to understand how much work really goes into a song. Yeah, you know, and and you look at bands like Dream Theater or Emerson Lake and Palmer, and you think about how much they put into their music from from the technical standpoint but it's it's typically noticeable with bands like that whereas you know with toto or or aha you know that there's these nice songs coming out but until you really start peeling back the layers of the onion you have no idea how much there really is wow yeah it's it's nice to be able to uh 
to give props to the people for what they really do instead of just what you hear on the surface. No, it's crazy. And if you think about in those days how they were recording everything to tape, Mm -hmm. couldn't really say, oh, let's keep six tracks and then just uh, comp them together. Right. Really had to record, okay, that one wasn't so good, so let's do it again and hope we get it better. Yeah, it, it's, it was back in a time when musicians really needed to know how to play. They needed to be able to get through a take without mistakes because you really couldn't punch in very many places uh, because you would have the overtone of the previous note or you have a, a cymbal decaying and yeah. you just couldn't do that. Nowadays, it's, it's a whole different world. You could punch in you know every other measure for an entire album if you wanted to. Uh, you've done recording when you did your, your album. Now, I think you said it was 2003. Which one? When you did my universe. Oh, my universe was, let me try and remember 2011. Okay. Uh, so when you recorded that, were you using a, a digital audio workstation or were you on an analog? I was using logic. Oh, you were. Okay. And my, my, what do they call it? My ISO booth was my closet. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Uh, that? I've, I've recorded vocals in a shower to get that okay. sort of uh, really tinny reverb. I've recorded singing into a toilet bowl to get that reverb. Uh, it's it's amazing the little the little changes that you can get by your recording location. Uh, yeah. I I'm really glad that I was brought up in the old school working on analog on two inch tape and on, you know, a mixing board before flying faders. Have you recorded is has all your recordings been in the digital world or were you were recording before that? I was recording before that and I recorded my album with my band Destiny in nineteen ninety four. Mm-hmm. And uh we went to a twenty four track studio, re recorded on Ampex two inch tape. Mm-hmm. Just like that, 16 minutes each yeah, tape. Right, right. 300 bucks or 175. How, I can't remember what it cost back then. Yeah, it's it's a whole different world now that you can record at home on your own time without the, the pressure of the clock ticking. Oh my gosh, it's like, oh, we only got 10 hours left. Ah. <laughs> yeah, because you'd have to, you know, you want to get the best performances, but you have to save time for the mixing and the mastering and, and all that because that's all charged hourly. Uh, that yeah. was in Seattle that you recorded that? Um, it was in a place called Lakewood, Washington. Okay. Now, you were you were playing in, in uh, Seattle back when the Seattle scene was pretty big. Were you yeah. doing uh, a lot of live stuff back then, or were you more isolated to songwriting at the time? No, we were playing lots of live stuff. And what's fun is that was the big, the grunge scene. Mm-hmm. And we were an instrumental metal, progressive instrumental metal band. <laughs> Three <laughs> people. So we were definitely going against the grain. But we still, we had a great following and, and, and playing with those bands. It was just a cool contrast. They'd put a, they wouldn't just put us with other instrumental bands because there weren't any. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was a wonderful time to be coming up in that scene. Yeah, that was a that was definitely one of those times, like the early '80s when we had the the synthesizer and and you know pop and the new wave invasion was happening. That was a very specific time, and then moving into the '90s, the grunge scene then became the thing. I I never really got into it. I liked a song here and there, but I 
I don't know why I didn't connect with it. I think I didn't find a lot of emotional excitement in it, yeah. uh, in the music. And I think the vocals also, uh, because at the time vocals were really big for me. And I just didn't really feel like the singers wanted to be singing the songs. They didn't seem passionate about the stories. Um, as a guitar player, how how much are you affected by how the other members in the band are performing at, at any given show? Like if they're not 100% every night, do you automatically go into a mode of pushing harder to try and carry the show? Or do you find that you're kind of being dragged down by that? Oh, gosh. Currently, the bands that I play with, there's such a high level of musicianship that rarely do I have to struggle with someone not performing well. That's good. Every night, I have a something that I mess up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I would have played that a little differently, but it's about the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, well, Fast Times, I've been playing with them a year now, pretty much every weekend, and we play a lot of the same songs over and over. So it's very rare that we don't, we don't have train wrecks unless it's a new song that we haven't worked out. But right. this band never had a rehearsal. Really? We basically work things out at the shows. You know, you come, they say, we're doing this song. I come prepared. Mm-hmm. We've listened to the same version. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Once they were like, hey, we're doing Come On Eileen. And so we get, I get to the show ready to do Come On Eileen and find out that it's a different version. Oh, oh God. Let me try and look and, and see. It's oh. a Scott version, which is wonderful. Oh. But, um, but, but yeah, you would think that they would say it's not the standard version. Check this one out. This is the one we're playing. We're doing Come On Eileen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's great when you can trust each other to know that you're going to come prepared. And not yeah. have to worry that I mean that's that shows that you're playing with some professional people. Do you do you find that that, that level of of musicianship does it drive you to work harder? Absolutely. Yes. I think that's healthy. And then I play in the experts and three of them are, are Berkeley professors. Oh. And the rest are um, they've been playing years and years and years. So it's the same deal. Like I need to my butt off to keep up. Yeah. I think that's great. If I mean, there's some things that you do that you want to do that are just comfortable and fun. But really, I like to be pushed. And yeah. as a solo artist, it's really difficult because other than my own desire to do something different or do something challenging, um, I, I'm not in a band right now. So I don't have that responsibility to anyone unless I'm working a, a contract job. Well, you seem to have a good work ethic, though. You're going to work the same for yourself as you would for other musicians. Do you feel that? I see that in you. Well, thank you. I, I like to think so. I mean, I, I just love it so much that I really... Like, I'm not one of those people that likes to watch TV or go to the movies. I take my walks, but that's because I need to get out of the chair. Yeah. You know, I sit way too much. <laughs> I, I don't... I mean, I love taking a moment to watch tv but i'm like you it's fair i don't i don't have time to sit and watch 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 yeah yeah well you know actually the first year that i that i graduated berkeley i was in a complete flux because i finished and 
all I was thinking of is I have got to get my degree. Like that's all I thought of. Mm-hmm. Knew I wanted guitar performance because guitar had been my passion. Like that was the most important thing. And then bam, I'm done. Then it was like I had just uh, taken a rocket from Cape Canaveral <laughs> through the atmosphere. And now I'm floating in space. What do I do now? Right. Well, the adrenaline stopped pumping, right? Because you were pushing, pushing, pushing towards that goal. And then you reach the goal and you're like, okay, I I got there. And now there's no immediate sense of the next thing. So your your adrenaline kind of goes, okay, I need to stop pumping for a minute because you don't need to push right now. But then you've got to find that next thing because you graduated. So now you have to do the things that you wanted to do that made you go to school in the first place. Yeah. So the first few weeks, I cleaned my house really good, <laughs> watched TV. I think that was a well-deserved break. I mean, mentally, you had to be exhausted as well as physically. Oh, yeah. I look at it like, you know, when I used to drive from Phoenix to Vegas, it used to be, before the, the Hoover Dam bypass, it was about five hours from where I was. And you mentally prepare for that five hours. And when I would get to about four hours, I would start getting a little antsy, like, God, I just want to hurry up and get there. And Mm -hmm. I think, how did I drive from Colorado Springs to Detroit, which is 26 hours, when I can't sit in a car for four hours? But you mentally prepare for wherever the goal is. Yeah, you're there. And then after that, or when you're close to hitting it, then you start to, you know, come down a little bit from it. But yeah, you have to figure out. So what was your, you graduated, you got your degree. What was your next move? Well, I, um, thankfully I'd gotten asked to play in a couple musicals. Oh, good. And then I was playing in the band, The Experts. So there was always a weekly rehearsal and songs to prepare for, but I'd never thought like, what do I want to do? What now? Where am I going to work? So, but luckily, um, a job opened up at Guitar Center teaching voice and guitar. Mm. Jump right into that. It was basically the the person who was teaching. They they got a new job in Florida and moved, and so I took over all of their students. Nice. So pretty cool. As I jumped into that. Mm-hmm. Again, that wasn't ideal. And then a job came up at the place where I work now. It's the South Shore Conservatory. Okay. And so that, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful environment. I'm very lucky to have that job. Are you teaching there also? Yep, I teach, uh, I teach there. I also, through their community involvement, I, I teach two ukulele classes at the Council on Aging. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one I'm going to be teaching at the South Shore Vocational Technical High School. Nice. So I've just, all these other things that I never, I never imagined I'd be teaching ukulele to seniors. Right. I would have never imagined you'd be teaching ukulele. It's amazing. And the funny thing is, I never had played ukulele until 2016. I played in a musical. It was, they called for guitar banjo and ukulele and when they asked me can you play ukulele i said oh yeah right (laughs) it's like time to learn ukulele yeah i was just telling the story on last last week's episode about how i uh auditioned for my first film composing job and they want they needed some techno music and i didn't know anything about techno music but just instinctively i told the director yeah give me an hour and i'll have something to you uh 
and, and then I wonder, you know, looking back on that, that was really either really gutsy or really stupid. But either way, I got the job. It worked. <laughs> but yeah, do you find it hard to transition? Because that's such a different style of playing. It is. But um, luckily for the musical, it was just one song. Mm-hmm. And I up to the very first sits probe and I played it. It, it the funny it was this uh, musical called Nice Work If You Can Get It. Mm-hmm. The the ukulele piece was a duet with tuba. Oh. That's an interesting. I was playing ukulele and the guy singing the tune was pretending to play the ukulele. Ah. The the director told me, No, you you're playing too good. You're playing too cool. You really need to play like this guy's been drinking. He's kind of <laughs> just picks up the ukulele and starts. So that was so fun. That would be an interesting challenge. How did you like like playing for a, a director versus just going out and doing a show with a band? Oh my gosh! Every time I get a musical, I get the book in advance. I'm so stressed out, like just freaking out inside until I do that first rehearsal. Because you never know what it's going to be like. You can play along with the recording, but what is that director? You don't know the tempos. You don't know the other instrumentalists. And so then you show up and you're like, okay, I'm prepared enough. (laughs) (laughs) It's a different one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and everyone is different because it's a different director. It's a different style. It's different timings and... Uh, yeah, I think the, the the idea of theater is really exciting because it presents a constantly different challenge. Yep, it really is. And it really improves your reading. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, so do you do those every chance that you get if the, if the schedule allows? Well, I've gotten a lot of offers to do musicals and unfortunately I've had to turn them down or I've offered to sub out a couple weekends, but normally they, they want someone to do the whole run. Sure. Because I'm working every weekend with the band, it's really been hard to accept those. Now, do you guys, other than just the, the surrounding states, do you guys have any plans to tour around the country or anything at this point? I don't think so. I feel like we're busy enough around here. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you got a good thing going, right? Yeah, it's been so great. These guys have been playing for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like some people came to our show last night who have been coming every time for 10 years. That is a dedicated fan. Yeah. It's such a fun experience, this fast times. But it also shows something about the band performing, uh, because if they if they weren't performing to a level that was enjoyable, obviously you wouldn't get people coming back even once or twice, let alone over the course of a decade. Yeah. That's really cool. It, what kind of music is it? It's all 80s. We do everything from hair metal to super pop madonna cindy lopper bought lots of bon jovi and journey mm-hmm. blister um what do you think it is about that era of music that has sustained so much i mean you have your classic rock era disco uh-huh. really hadn't sustained the way that the 80s did, and even the 90s haven't really sustained that way what do you think the magic is about 80s music well, there's something about it. It just creates a party atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Every time I go out, it's the, the biggest party. That's awesome. And, and these young 22-year-old people, they know every single word. 
you know, you know, it wasn't a time where I mean, there were things that were political in music, but they were really the rarity. It was mostly about love and just here's what I'm feeling in the moment, and this is a good time. And it wasn't it wasn't pretentious. It wasn't trying to do anything. It wasn't political. It was just fun music. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's a fun time. It's pure entertainment. Mm -hmm. There was uh, a concert out here, I think it was back in September, that was the uh, Lost 80s Live. And it was 18 bands from the 80s were here. And it was Berlin. It was A Flock of Seagulls. It was Missing Persons. Uh, Just a phenomenal show. And to get to see these bands perform, which I never thought I would, was pretty amazing. But it it was also the crowd reaction because every song... Of course they were they were mostly only doing their hits like bow wow wow came out and only did i want candy and then left but there was definitely something about it that just felt so warm and comfortable and inviting uh i i really think it's an untouchable era yeah it really can be i really think that's what it is Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago i had uh travis leroy on from that 80s band in in denver uh did you know did you know travis I don't, I'm not very well. I just knew of him because the band was so popular. Right, yeah. And, uh, I mean, they're kind of experiencing the same thing, just just crowds loving that style of music. And I love that that, because that's also my era, since I was born in the early 70s, the 80s is when I was really growing up in music, just like you. And uh, I I just love that that music still touches people to this day. I guess it, it adds a little bit of validity to my youth. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? Is it challenging as a guitarist since so much of it was keyboard dominated? No, because you'd be surprised how many have these wonderful guitar parts. And then, you know, I'm challenged. I just learned Wait by White Lion, which I've always wanted to learn. And then Bark at the Moon, Ozzy Osbourne, we played for Halloween. Nice. Just wonderful things. There's some where, okay, there's not much happening. Like um, all night long, Lionel Richie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just it has some really fun rhythmic things. But I try to make my part interesting. Yeah, I'll take what's there and and try to embellish a little bit. But we try to stay just like the recording. Mm-hmm. But but there's those parts where you sometimes have to add a little personal touch to it, even if it's subtle. Yeah, I try to be myself. Does it get repetitive at all since you're, I mean, obviously you're switching out songs here and there, but doing the same songs, being that uh, dedicated to the original, does it get a little stale at any point? Well, I, I have to say, as a musician, one of my gifts is just to be able to play something a million times. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that I would say I'm sick of something. Like there's pieces that I've been working on for years I comfortably um, I play that all the time and each time I just you know I just think this, I, I want to put life into it right yeah I like that because that's always just been a, a sort of mellow just you put it on and kind of drift away with it song it's one of the most wonderful guitar solos mm-hmm. well was was Pink Floyd one of your big influences in your early career you know, I wouldn't say so. I spent time listening to it and, you know, The Wall and Dark Side of the Moon. But I I was working as a manicurist and they had the seri- uh, radio, serious radio, mm-hmm. radio, I think. And there's a station called Acoustic Cafe. Oh. This was in 2011. 
Mm-hmm. And, or maybe 2012. And this a version of Comfortably Numb came on with a, a girl singing, and it was the beautiful, beautiful arrangement. And her voice was so nice. And then it just ended after the last chorus. And I thought to myself, how could one do a recording of that without having the guitar solo? Yeah, that's, that's one of the most historic pieces of the song. Right. It's the most epic guitar solo on every top 100 guitar solos of all time. It's up there. Right. I want to record a version of that. Yeah. And I just, uh, it's probably the most um, in-depth, detailed recordings I've ever done. I, my my music is a little simple, but that had 40 tracks, and that was pretty huge for me. Wow. I recorded it, and I really wanted to stay true to David Gilmour's solo. Mm-hmm. So I learned his note for note, and I got it as best as I could. And it took me two weeks. Every night, I would play it for just three hours, two to three hours, over and over and over. And I kept trying to get a good take. And and, that, and then that second week, oh, my neighbor was like, are, are you okay? In the middle of the night, all I hear is the same music over and over again. <laughs> do, do you think that you were overthinking it, or do you really feel like you had, like it really took you that long to get it the way you wanted it? It took me that long. Wow. I don't consider overthinking. I was fighting with it. Mm. It was a battle. Myself and the comfortably numb solo. <laughs> Then I got the take, and I was like, ah, you know. So what I wanted to do was do David Gilmore solo and then my own solo right after it. Okay. Got his first, and like I said, it took two weeks. And then I three takes, I got the rest of it. Oh, sweet. So I think because I just, I have it in my soul now. But it would never feel stale. Mm. Yeah. Never feel played it too many times now is this something that's out there that people can hear yeah it's on my album called um what was it? i believe sorry i forgot okay, the great. name uh yeah i'll definitely have to check that out i haven't heard that one yet uh do you so you probably don't really have a lot of time for songwriting right now i really want to make time but i i'm really involved with my making my videos right now I feel like it's taking up probably more than I'd like because I I had technical difficulties and then I was using iMovie and iMovie's not practical for making nice professional videos. So then I upgraded to the Adobe suite. I had to learn all the software. <laughs> so yeah. challenge. But I'm finally to a point I kind of have that down. I do a series called The Court of the Week. And I... Um, on my channel, I I have I do one quarter of the week for each week, so four weeks in a month. Then I try to do a transcription of a guitar solo that I love, and a tutorial for that. And then I do a a we call it a spotlight jam session. Fun. So that I write a track, and I just grab John, and we just play it, you know, without much practice. So the idea is for guitar players to be able to download the track, watch the tutorial, and make their own and share it. I like that. And this is not on YouTube. This is on Truefire, correct? This is on Truefire.com. I have my own channel there. And I have a lot of free videos up there, but 
um, I have exclusive content. And if you become a subscriber, it's $5 a month. And with that, you get access to all my videos. And the, the Spotlight Jam Session Month comes with a MP3 download backing track, um, a transcription of the chart, and then a tutorial video. That sounds like a lot of value for $5 a month. I think so, too. Yeah. And and that's that kind of stuff is fun because for, for people that don't otherwise have opportunities to uh, challenge themselves or don't really know what they want to do to challenge themselves, these kind of things are great. I used to download videos that would be for scoring competitions, and I wouldn't necessarily enter the competition because I didn't care about that as much, but I would score the video just for the practice of it, especially if it was like a genre I didn't normally work in. And... But you have to find those opportunities, and I love that you're providing that for guitarists that that you know could use something different to do because it can really open you up when you start seeing music through a different set of eyes. Right. When I started uh, playing bass guitar a couple years ago, and it's not something that I have found or, or created the time to really dedicate myself to learning well, but I started seeing music differently because I was looking through the bassist's eyes instead of the drummer's eyes or the keyboard player's eyes. Um, did you, when when you had to pick up like banjo or ukulele, did you uh, kind of look at anything a little bit differently after that? Oh my gosh, yes. I think it really just opens you up to seeing music. Like I, I'm a musician and guitar is my instrument. And I used to believe that I was just a guitar player. That was it. That was the, the be all end all. But I've realized that What's more important is having music, creating, playing, and then I chose guitar. But when you go over to ukulele, it's just a different voice. Right. Which you understand as a composer, for you've made symphonies and musical scores for video games and movies. So each instrument has its own voice, which is incredible. Absolutely, yeah, and it's a it's a challenge too because when you when you look at your instrument and you work with other musicians, you you un, you have a basic understanding of what they do and how they do it, and you know how to work with them. But when you actually sit in their chair and you're doing what they do, you see things completely differently because you're now seeing different techniques or different approaches that maybe harmonize or counterbalance what you do as a guitarist. That's right. And and you really get a deeper understanding of the song. Absolutely. I, I love that. I, you know, I have to say, because we knew each other back in, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, when the, the metal scene and the progressive scene in Colorado Springs was really big. Mm-hmm. And not on a national level, but for, for Colorado, it was a pretty huge thing. And you were always held in the highest of regard. Are you? People would say you don't you haven't you don't even know how good that girl is until you see her play, and really? yeah, absolutely. And I've seen you play, and I knew how good you were back then. And I love that you've turned this into something instead of most people, not just in Colorado Springs, but I mean in every city where it was fun when I was a kid. I loved doing it, but now I got to go work because I have a kid, or I have to, you know. I have to be an adult and pay the bills and all those things that we're programmed with, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, I love that you're still playing. I love that you know that you that there's always more to learn. Oh, yeah. Because I think people tend to get stuck, you know, and, and like, I, I know how to play this genre. This is what I do. So 
they don't really necessarily work at expanding or learning because they just want to be comfortable where they're at. I can't see you ever getting to that point. I don't think I ever will. And if I do, I'll be so sad. Yeah. Well, call me and we'll figure out <laughs> we'll figure out something. But do you think we we talked about this a little bit before the show? Do you think that there were additional challenges for you because you're a female guitar player versus a guitar player? Well, definitely. Um, I, I'm not sure if it, I mean, there are challenges being a girl, but I am a nice girl and very soft-spoken. And, and for many, many years, I was the kind of person that wouldn't stand up for what I wanted. So... I, I've, in many situations, I'd be in a band and I'd want to do more, and they would say, "Oh, Julie, no, it's it's not your time," you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I I just wouldn't fight that. I just would let that go. But now I'm to the point where I I know my value, I know my worth, I know what I want to do, and I know what I'm capable of, and I've been able to stand up for myself in some situations. Good. And it's been a benefit. Um, you know, it's not. If you're in a position where you're you're playing and you want more, well, just ask for it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Was there a, a moment that, that kind of flipped that switch for you where you just started standing up for yourself, or was it just an organic kind of thing? Well, I'm trying to think. Um, I think it was a gradual over time. Mm-hmm. It's been an internal process. It's not that people were holding me back. I think that, you know, musicians are, are, you have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. You advocate for yourself and you're okay with that. There's someone that's going to be um, left out if they're standing up for themselves. And that person was usually me. Right. So uh, over time, I've just thought, uh, no, I want this. I'm going to fight for this. And this is the position I want to be in. And this is the song I want to do or whatever. And I've been free to ask for that. Mm-hmm. You don't get it every time, but I definitely get it more than I used to. Well, you don't get it if you don't put it out there. Right. <laughs> and, and that's the thing I think people, a, a lot of people don't understand about this business is things don't happen if you don't put it out there. Nobody's going to buy your album if it doesn't exist. Nobody's going to come and see your show if you're not out there performing. Yeah. You have to put yourself in alignment with those kind of things. Otherwise, you're never going to be finding any kind of success in this business and it's you do have to find your own voice because you're in you might get to the point where you have an agent advocating for you but you need to get to the point where an agent will be willing to advocate for you yes and if they see your desire and you're you're willing to work then they will be there Mm -hmm. and you've worked with agents before haven't you yeah I have actually. Was that something that you found challenging to let go and trust in them to to look after you? Well, it was uh, in one band in particular. Um, I was tired as the guitar player, and so I didn't really work with the agents. Mm-hmm. But the the leader of the band would say, "Okay, the agent wants this. The agent's working for this. Oh, we got this gig. You know, mm-hmm. it was definitely a mutual benefit." I figure the agent wants to make money and we can do that for them and we'll make money too. So Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well before before we wrap up, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell this story 
uh, and I haven't heard it yet, so I'm, I'm excited to hear it myself. There was a picture that you posted on Facebook of you and Joe Satriani. And I've always been a fan of Joe. I think he's a brilliant writer. I think he's a fantastic player. He filled in for uh, Richie Blackmore when Richie Blackmore quit Deep Purple in the middle of a tour. And uh, mm-hmm. it almost turned out that he was going to be the guitar player of the band for a while, but he, he couldn't do it with the stuff he already had lined up. And uh, they got Steve Morse. But what, what can you tell us about that day? Okay, well, it was a process. So I was in Guitar Center, and they had a big cutout of Joe, and it had uh, information about a contest they were putting on. It was called Who's Next? And it said, Win Miss Guitar from Joe Satriani. So I thought, oh, man, I just love him. He, His music has been there for me through every facet, every storm, every up, every down of my life. And I just remember listening to surfing with the alien on my Walkman on the bus going to high school. Oh, yeah. You can imagine that. So I love his music. I played in my instrumental trio. We got to open up for him in 1996 for New Year's Eve, two shows. Wow. This contest came up. I was like, I I feel like I got to enter it. So the details were there was 10 backing tracks up on this website. You pick your favorite. You download it, and you record a video of you playing the okay. tune. Uh-huh. And out of all the winners, he was going to pick 10. And each winner got the Ibanez JS20S guitar, which has the, the Surfing with the Alien cover. Perfect. Silver surfers on that guitar. And they were going to fly all the winners to L.A. to enjoy a master class with Joe Satriani. So I thought, well, what's the harm? So I do my video. I chose Always With Me, Always With You. I put it up there. And out of 2,000 entries, he picked 10. And I was one of the 10. That's awesome. So I I was just waiting, like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I got a call at work, and it was from Guitar Center. It said Guitar Center, Burbank, California, whatever. So I answer it. And... uh, the guy says, okay, is this Julie Morgan? Well, I'm not telling you you're the winner, but you're one of the few who might be chosen as the winner. Hmm. So I just wanted to see uh, if you're available on these dates. We'll let you know further, but you're not the winner. But we're just, you know, we've been, you've been narrowed down in the, the, the top 20 or whatever. So I was thinking, oh, my gosh, it could go either way, right? Right. I like the eleventh, <laughs> but at this point, you can assume that that Joe has probably heard you play. Joe heard me heard me play. Right. Yeah. At this point. And so then it was just a few days after that, the same number popped up, and they said I had won. It was incredible. I mean, I was running around in circles at work. <laughs> I told you I was manicurist back then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has got- this girl oh i won you know so i got to go to the airport they flew me down to la i got to stay in this swanky boutique hotel my meals were covered they drove us to the beautiful guitar center that has that room with all the cool one-of-a-kind guitars like twenty-five thousand dollars strats and all the cool and all that and he did a, a master class just for us 
And he told us one thing he liked about each each of our videos, and he told me that what he liked about mine was I was the only person who danced through my through the song. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Was that something that you did intentionally, or is it just that's just how you felt it when you played? I feel it when I play it. I guess I I just move that way mm-hmm. into him like I was dancing. So. Yeah, I, I like that. I I remember seeing some stuff from Tori Amos where she was very physical playing piano, and that's not an instrument that you're usually very physical with unless you're playing like Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, but but it's that feeling the music like when you're really in that zone and it just encapsulates you. You're, yeah. If you're going to move, you're going to move. You're going to move. It just comes out. What was what was the? Uh, did you take a lot away from the class, or were you just so like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm here that you really weren't able to to absorb it i absorbed it all good came out and he goes you guys you won this contest it's obvious you can play Mm -hmm. so he it was more just this intimate conversation we could ask him questions but he told us his approach to writing performing live um warm warming up jamming playing with other musicians all these wonderful little tidbits that were so important to hear. And and it just happened to be, of all the people that could have had a contest, somebody that was such a, a heavy part of your life. I, I love that that, of all people, that it could have been. Yep, somebody know. said to me. Now, you mentioned warm-up. Now, you play a lot. So do you do anything to warm up to kind of get your fingers to be able to, st- s- s- to s- I can't speak anymore, but to sustain the long-term or do you just kind of just go on stage and go for it? I like to stretch a little bit. Um, I find as I'm getting older, that helps. But um, I've, thankfully, I've never had any injuries. Mm-hmm. I like to start with a, you know playing easy chords, some scales, things like that. I do warm-ups with my voice on the way down to gigs, too, since I have a lot of time. Are you singing lead or are you singing backup? I sing lead. Okay. We, there's five singers in my band. We all sing, but I'd say the majority of the songs get split up between me and the drummer and the other vocalist, guitar player. That's pretty cool. I, I like that. You know, it's it's another challenge to be able to sing and play at the same time, especially if you're doing anything even remotely technical. I mean, if you're strumming chords or if you're playing a basic beat, because I used to sing when I was in a country band, and uh, that's that's a whole nother level of performance right there. Yeah, it really is. But I do find that as if I'm learning them parts together, somehow they lock in. It's a little easier. Yeah, well, I mean, they all follow the same beat. So yeah. unless you're doing something that's specifically, I guess I would say more jazzy, where it's more meant to counterbalance things, um, it really kind of follows the same flow and the same click. So it's it, it at least gives you that alignment to be able to do it then it's just a matter of coordinating your hands and your mouth at the same time right (laughs) do you have any plans to now i know that you said you wanted to get back into songwriting are you hoping to be able to release another album at some point yes absolutely i have a few tunes for it already i'm just i do get a little creativity in every month when i do that jam track Mm -hmm. but definitely i want to write well, I'm very interested to see because definitely your stuff that I've heard has been a progression of where you've come from since I met you in the 90s or late 80s. And then, you know, as you transition through playing in Seattle and then g- g- going out to the East, I and mean, you've 
I definitely watched your songwriting improve, your performance improve. It's been a great joy to see you see someone who's so passionate and obviously has the talent actually using it and making a living and, and, and getting through your life doing what you love doing. I don't think there's anything better than that. No, there isn't. I feel so fortunate. I'm so glad that we got to talk and thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to, to see what you do next. And of course, we'll have the link to your True Fire uh, page on there so people can check it out. Uh, the, the subscription, the monthly subscription sounds like it's definitely worth it. So I would highly recommend that to you guitarists that are listening or even fans of music because you can learn a lot listening to those kind of things. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Julie. Thanks for inviting me. Yvette, take care. We'll talk soon. How can you not just be completely inspired by that? I mean, that is some seriously hard work, some serious dedication, and look where it's got her. Uh, But you have to find that belief in yourself. If you don't believe you can do it, it's going to be hard to get yourself motivated to do it. So believe in yourself first. That's the key to everything. So thank you guys uh, for once again joining me on another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Please leave some comments. Uh, please leave a like or a review of the show on iTunes. Um, also, if you have any questions, have anything to say, email me at scott at scotthaskin.com. We'll be back next week with another guest, uh, and then I'll be headed to NAM 2019. Have a great week, everybody. Mm-hmm.